I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. I am really excited to talk about today's topic. And if you've listened to some of the previous allergy episodes, particularly episode three, environmental allergies, you'll be familiar with my dog, Russell Sprout, the so ugly he's cute terrier who ignited my enthusiasm for animal allergies. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about an aspect of Russell Sprout and his disease that I discuss with my dermatology clients on a regular basis, and that's his fear, anxiety, and stress, or FAS. Russell is highly insecure and reactive when he feels like he's threatened. And just like every owner of an allergic pet, we've had our ups and downs together. When he feels really good, he's sweet, he's snuggly, but when his allergies are flaring, his entire demeanor changes and he becomes one of the most irritable, ornery little jerks that I've ever met. And honestly, I can't blame him. Allergies and infections on the skin and in the ears make animals and humans alike absolutely miserable. So if you've listened to other episodes, you know that I love data. Between living with an anxious, allergic dog and treating many allergic dogs with fear, anxiety, and stress, I've seen firsthand the effects of allergies on those behavior issues. So I was thrilled to read a recent article in the Journal of the American Animal Hospital Association by Dr. Lindsay McAuliffe on the associations between atopic dermatitis or allergies and anxiety, aggression, and fear-based behaviors in dogs. So I reached out to her to join us on the show today to talk more about her research. Thanks for joining. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm always excited to talk about this topic. So this is a great opportunity. I was a general practice family vet for about five years after I finished veterinary school before I went on to my internship and residency. So I got a lot of firsthand GP skin and ear disease experience there. I went to vet school at Tufts where I had a very solid foundation in both dermatology and behavior. We were lucky enough to have a full course in animal behavior, which I know not all vet schools offer. So during my free time, I spent a lot of time at the behavior clinic with Dr. Nick Dodman and his fabulous resident, Stephanie Bornsweil. And Dr. Dodman, some of your listeners might know because he's written a lot of books about behavior for pet owners, and he's made quite a few appearances on Animal Planet. Like, Oh, that's fun. Too cute. So <laughs> if you see a British guy with white hair on Animal Planet, it's probably Nick Dodman. But he was my behavior professor, so helped me get really into behavior. 
I was also really active in our behavior club in school. I was one of the co-founders. And I thought that maybe that was an area I could specialize in. So five years in general practice kind of pushed me more toward dermatology for sure, but behavior is never far behind. Yeah. One of the most common things that people bring their pets into the vet for are skin related diseases. So infections, allergies, ear issues, dermatology is very heavy in general practice. Yeah. Top five for sure. So let's talk a little bit about your study. In human dermatology, chronic itching is associated with an increase in both stress and anxiety. That can also worsen itch, which leads to this really vicious itch-anxiety cycle. And pet owners ask me a lot about the interaction between allergies and anxiety. I would love for you to tell the listeners about the science and what questions your team set out to try and answer. Absolutely. So people ask me that question really frequently as well. They always want to know if all their dog's severe itching and scratching is caused purely by anxiety. And I always explain to them that dogs can scratch as kind of a displacement behavior. So that's something a dog will do when they just don't know what else to do. If they're feeling a little bit stressed or anxious, maybe they'll scratch, maybe they'll sniff, but they never do it to the point of skin damage like we see in our allergic patients. So it's usually a very short-lived behavior. Mm -hmm. I tell pet owners that their anxiety doesn't cause it, but anxiety and stress will absolutely worsen their itching. So frequently I'll hear people come in and tell me, you know, that we had a stressful holiday and he had a flare of his itching or all these people were over or something stressful happened and that will trigger their dog to have an itchy flare. That's an interesting thought that you mentioned the holidays. You know, usually I totally agree. We see flares around the holidays. For me, I always have food on my mind as a trigger, you know, other people coming into the home, not understanding that the dog may be food allergic and slipping some treats because they want to, you know, make best friends with the dogs. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Even just having more people in the household, that stress can cause an increase in their itching as well. Yeah, especially for dogs that are already a little bit on edge, which most of these itchy dogs are. So it makes sense for sure. And the real inspiration for this study was during early in my residency, I knew I wanted to do something with behavior and dermatology. I didn't want to do, you know, microbiology study or look at staph infections. You know, people are doing that and that's awesome, but I wanted to do Mm -hmm. something a little bit more clinical. And my students were really the inspiration. So they would come down to our clinic and make comments like, man, these patients seem way more stressed out or even aggressive or anxious or harder to handle than the patients that they were seeing at main campus, which was every other service. Our dermatology service was at a satellite clinic. So I thought it was very interesting that they were able to observe that and wanted to kind of prove it. So Mm -hmm. we set out to collect the data to actually prove that this was a real phenomenon. I'd always suspected it. And I was able to actually use a massive database out of UPenn, their vet school. They have an amazing behavior department and they've been collecting data on dog behavior for almost a decade now, at least, just every kind of category of behavior. So they have a huge global database and we were able to use that same survey to see how our itchy dogs compared to the over 40,000, you know, 
regular dogs that were in the database already. That's great. And you looked at a whole bunch of different categories, correct? Yeah, there are 14 different categories for the behavior survey. The CBARC is what it's called, Canine Behavioral Assessment Research Questionnaire. So CBARC is way easier to say. The categories Mm -hmm. were, you know, all of the really normal stuff like aggression and fear, and then some categories related to separation anxiety, attention-seeking behaviors, trainability, excitability, and kind of just overall sensitivity of these dogs, which we can get into a little bit more. Yeah. So what were some of the specific types of behavioral changes that you observed in your study in regards to fear and aggression in these animals? Like what situations were more challenging for these dogs? So the CBARC has actually four different aggression categories. <laughs> There's a lot of ways that dogs can be aggressive. And it looks at stranger-directed aggression. So, you know, anybody strange, unfamiliar to the dog, owner-directed aggression. So anything in the household where the owner might interact with the pet and have an issue. Dog-directed aggression, which is unfamiliar dogs. And then dog rivalry, which was like familiar dogs, so the other household dogs. And interestingly enough, the dogs in our study were more aggressive in every category except for the strange dog aggression. So they didn't love strangers. They had some issues with their owner sometimes, and they would get cranky toward their housemate dogs, but didn't have any real difference with strange dogs. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I can absolutely attest to the household aggression. Mm -hmm. We have two dogs in our household right now, Russell Sprout, and then our other dog, Stufata Potato. (laughs) And Stufata Potato is like so chill and relaxed. He doesn't have any health issues. He's just like easygoing and an easy keeper. And he gets along with everybody. But when Russell gets a flare of his allergies, he definitely takes it out on Stufi. Mm -hmm. And Stufi will just be walking by and all of a sudden Russell will growl at him or just lift his lips to give him a warning. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, he didn't even do anything to you. He wasn't even looking at you. What's the big deal? (laughs) So it's interesting that you have some data to actually show they can be jerks to the dogs in their household. Yeah, and those poor dogs just don't even ask for it. (laughs) They get the brunt of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then there's this major shift when the animal starts to feel better again, right? Oh, yeah. I hear that all the time from my owners, they'll come back in and be like, wow, we haven't had an issue between the dogs in weeks since Fluffy's been feeling better. Like, that's awesome. That's really great to hear. What about fear? What did you find in terms of fear behaviors? These poor guys were kind of nervous Nellies across the board. So they had worse non-social fear, which in this context is basically anything in the environment that is spooky. So, you know, loud noises, trash bags blowing outside, you know, things in the wind, things that move suddenly, just stuff like that, that might be out of their ordinary that might spook them. So we had much higher incidence of like firework phobia and thunderstorm phobia, noise phobia, that type of issue. Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you how many dogs people end up asking me about 
what can I treat their thunderstorm phobia with? These are my allergic patients coming in to see me for their itch, but so many of them are just, their baseline anxiety is higher. So they're much more likely to react to stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I would agree, we don't have as many thunderstorms here in Los Angeles, (laughs) but definitely the firework issue around New Year's and around 4th of July. I have clients asking me all the time about what they can do to decrease the stress with the fireworks. So I'm interested to know if maybe general practitioners get that same level of questioning around those noise phobias as we do with allergic dogs. Yeah, I feel like the incidence is really high for dogs in general to have noise phobia. And Mm -hmm. with our population of pets that we see, it's just concentrated. So, you know, when I'm working with Russell Sprout during one of his allergic flares, and essentially with every itchy dog I see in my hospital, I really try and be conscious of how sensitive their problem areas on their body can be, like their ears, their paws, their face. Tell me a little bit about the relationship between allergic dogs and touch sensitivity and how this might impact the treatments that we're doing with them. Yeah. So once we had the numbers and we did the number crunching, I was actually blown away by this particular category. So touch sensitivity was one of the categories in the sea bark. And this one was actually the most dramatic difference out of all 14 categories for these dogs. It was the most statistically significant, (laughs) which was something that I suspected, but I was really quite shocked by how much more touch sensitive they were. Makes sense Mm -hmm. when we think about it, you know, handling them. (laughs) Every dog, I tell the owners that they have ticklish feet when I look between their toes and they're pulling their toes away and I try to be very gentle, but I know their feet are tickly and it can make it harder for us to do a really thorough exam without causing too much stress to these poor pets to have to touch those problem areas. So you just have to be cognizant of it and try to be careful and be considerate of their needs. But my example, my own dog, Buck, he's a Brittany. He's about five years old and he's an itchy guy. He's got some dust mite allergy. He's very sensitive (laughs) and especially ear sensitive. He has ticklish feet. So I've realized, you know, as I've had him that if he's having a really itchy, tickly day and it's nail trimming day and he's just not, you know, he jerks his feet, he's just not having it. If I circle back around in a day or two, make sure his Apoquel is on board and he's less itchy, he'll just lay there and let me do all the toes and he has no issue. So I deal with that here in my own house. Yeah, it's not uncommon for me to hear owners say that the baths get easier as the animal's feeling better. Mm -hmm. They get more comfortable with ear cleaning as their ear infections are improving. So making sure that those flares are managed is definitely going to help improve the behavior and the ability of the pet owner to be able to actually perform those treatments at home. But I often will give owners anti-anxiety medication to help with those treatments that I'm asking to do at home, especially in the beginning when the animal is more anxious and more touch sensitive. Yeah. And that's a great idea. 
So I think about all the treatments that I've had to do with Russell and the training that it took for him to be as comfortable as he is with what I'm doing, which honestly can still be a struggle for us. (laughs) And, you know, if a pet is not comfortable with getting a bath, getting ear cleanings, having its paws touched or getting injections from its owner, we kind of need to work on training to make these things easier at home. Tell me a little bit about what your study found in regards to training allergic pets. Yeah, this is super important because you and I both know we can prescribe treatments all day long, but if the pet owner and the dog just can't get it done, it's not going to help anybody. So making sure we can kind of implement strategies to help these people and these dogs is really important. And on the sea bark, there's a category that's called trainability, which I think can be a little misleading just in this context, but basically they define it as, you know, willingness to pay attention to the owner, obey simple commands, learn quickly, things like that. And for our patients, you know, observing them in my exam room, if they can't even stop scratching when they're sitting in the exam room with their owner, of course they can't focus well on training. So yeah, I wouldn't take it to mean that they're less trainable. I would take it to mean that they just need a little bit more help to be comfortable enough to focus. Yeah. I remember one of my colleagues, Dr. Webb Milam, was treating a police dog um, out in Oklahoma. And the handler had told her that they absolutely needed to get the dog's allergies under control because he was running down, chasing after a suspect, and the dog stopped in the middle of the chase to scratch himself because he was so itchy. So, I mean, this is a highly, highly trained working animal who can't do his job. So our household pets, certainly they're not going to focus on training. They are so uncomfortable. That's all they want to think about is relieving their itch by chewing or scratching themselves. Yeah, of course. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to take very long to get them comfortable enough a few weeks in my experience, and they're feeling a lot better and they're able to handle that kind of work much more easily. So it's not a super, super long-term thing. Yeah, that's great. And tell me a little bit about some of the training that you have owners do with their pets once they are starting to feel a little bit better. Yeah, this is something I'm really passionate about. And I've been fortunate enough to work somewhere where we are trying to implement more of these strategies. We actually had a dog trainer that I know locally come in and help teach some of my staff about these things, which is great. It's called cooperative care training. And basically what that means is that you teach the dog to be a willing participant in their treatment. So you give them a choice, which makes them much more likely to opt in, even if something is uncomfortable for them, like an injection or ear treatment or baths or all of the long list of things we ask them to do at home. So it's definitely a different type of training than most people are used to. But fortunately, now there's some really great resources, which we can link on the website. I've given you some links of resources I give clients, just so they can start to understand. And at least where we are, and hopefully more places, there are trainers that are 
focusing on this. So they're able to teach people how to do this cooperative care training and help their pets. Because the last thing I want is people chasing their dog around, cornering them, forcing an ear ointment in or forcing a moose on their feet or things like that, because that's never going to go well. It's only going to get worse if that's how they feel like they have to get it done. And I understand completely. They just feel like they don't know what to do. So they want to get the mm-hmm. treatment done. They chase the dog around, they corner it. And it always, it breaks my heart when I hear that. So super passionate about this. And we send home handouts. I have video links and I'm hoping one day to have kind of tiny tech demo sessions where my nurses can demonstrate the very basics of this type of care to our clients. And then we can always refer to our trainer locally if they need more help. I really love cooperative care. Episode 56 with Dr. Amy Pike, who is a veterinary behaviorist, talks all about cooperative care, how to get started with it, and how to incorporate cooperative care into ear treatments at home, which is something we ask a lot of our pet owners to do when they have dogs with allergies. Ear infections are very common in these animals. So that's a great resource for people who are looking for more information on cooperative care techniques. Honestly, if you look at it like a chore and a fight with your pet, it's way less likely to get done. But if you look at it as a bonding experience and bath time is a special time that you get to share with your pet, they're not fighting with the ear treatments and they're happy to come over and let you make them feel better, it's going to make your life so much easier in the long run. Allergies are not a disease that will immediately go away with one treatment. It's a lifelong disease that needs to be managed. And if these behavior issues can be managed, the disease itself can be much better managed. Also, you'll have a much happier relationship with your pet. So I love cooperative care. It's definitely something that I talk to my clients about. And I love that there's been this strong movement towards incorporating cooperative care techniques. Yeah, it's really great. It's awesome for the welfare of our patients and the happiness of our owners. So I'm very excited about it. So what would you say were some of the most important findings from your research regarding anxiety and allergies? You know, what areas of future study would you like to see be explored in order to help pets and their owners? I think the biggest takeaway from this is that we've just proven that yes, these dogs (laughs) potentially have more issues than your average not itchy dog. So that gives veterinarians and owners the knowledge to look for these things in their pets and recognize that they might have an issue. And recognizing it is the first step to being able to help them. So it's hard. You know, we aren't born speaking dog. So dogs do a lot of things that humans just don't understand. But being able to teach owners, even show videos or like pictures of different body language and how they show fear and those things can be really helpful because some pet owners just might not even realize that what their dog is doing is actually a fear-based behavior or something like that. So just being able to recognize that these dogs might have an issue is super important. And that's our first step to being able to help them. 
Yeah, absolutely. How about some future studies? Are there any directions that you would like to go after having published this data? I sure had some ideas immediately after I finished putting together this study. But for me personally, I would be interested in kind of the day-to-day things in our clinic, you know, seeing how implementing some cooperative care strategies or training or anxiety medications even could improve our treatment outcomes. So one of the things that we can struggle with the most is actually allergy shots. So having our owners do allergy injections for their pets and not every dog just wants to sit there and be injected, you know, every seven days or 10 days or however often you end up with your immunotherapy. And that's a huge reason why people stop, right? I'm sure you have a lot of clients that end up stopping because eventually you find out it just wasn't working. The dog wasn't tolerating it. So to be really scientific about it, I'd be interested in putting two groups together. One group, the owners get some basic cooperative care training, plus the demonstration on how to give the allergy injection. And then the other group would just get the traditional standard, you know, here's how you do the allergy shot and give your dog a treat when it's done and Mm -hmm. see how that plays out with their long-term willingness to keep going. And, you know, with what we know now, I really wouldn't even feel right to kind of withhold some information about cooperative (laughs) care, but it's hard. It's hard work. So seeing how those people play out and how their dog cooperates over the long run would be really interesting. And just being able to prove that, yes, implementing some of these training strategies will help us and we'll get better treatment outcomes for these pets. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the main goals of me having started this podcast was just to see if this could help in my clinical practice with the pets that I was treating. Does more education and more knowledge improve the treatment outcomes and make these animals' lives better? If you would want to include your vet wants you to know in part of that training process, I would love to be involved in some sort of cooperative care study. Yeah. Um, For those pet owners who do have to give their pets injections and are looking for a resource, there's a video specifically of me doing um, cooperative care injections with Russell Sprout in our home so that he gets his allergy shots every two weeks at home. Um, You can find that video at www.yourvetwantsyoutoknow.com backslash videos. Um, There's also a link for it in the show notes if you want to check that out. So that's a really great tool that I use to show my clients, here's how we reward each step of the process and make sure that he's comfortable and focused on the food and the reward aspect so that the shot is not something that bothers him even a little bit. Yeah. I tell people when they pull the vial out of the fridge, if your dog comes running to you, you've done it right. So yes, (laughs) I've done it right. Oh, I'm so proud. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) You know, I want to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about anything that's really important to you, something that you feel passionate about. Is there anything else that you want to add before we kind of close things out? Yeah, all of this, in case you can't tell, I'm very passionate about, but we really like to use anxiety meds to help them feel better and have a better experience. But every once in a while, we get pushback and people don't want to give the medications usually with more questioning, you find out that 
they think it's either going to be like a really heavy sedative or like something that needs to be given chronically and they're worried about changing the dog's personality or things like that. So I just wanted to take this as an opportunity to kind of dispel some of those myths about us using pre-visit medications like trazodone and gabapentin are kind of the most common ones that I prescribe. So we want to stop your dog from having a panic attack. We want Mm -hmm. him to be comfortable, you know, maybe not thrilled, but at least not shaking himself to pieces when he comes into my exam room. So if your pet feels less anxious at the vet, you are going to feel less anxious at the vet. I know when I have a really stressed pet, the owner is equally as stressed. So if everybody's less stressed, we're going to have a better visit. Even potentially the stress of the visit for your dog could send them into an itch flare and they're itchier after they come and see me. A lot of people also think that we would only need medications for dogs that are aggressive or trying to bite me or something like that. And that's honestly a very small minority of the patients that I prescribe medications for. Most of them are just really scared. So they're shaking, they're panting heavily, they're hiding, you know, they don't want to come interact with us. So medications really, really help these dogs, especially because dermatology requires really frequent follow-ups and long-term care. As you've discussed, allergies don't go away and they do need chronic long-term management. So honestly, wouldn't you like to feel less stress when you go to the doctor's office? I know I get white coat syndrome and my blood pressure is always a little bit up when I go to the doctor. So same thing with your pets. And If your veterinarian doesn't bring it up and you realize that your pet is stressed, you can advocate for them. You know, you can ask, like, do you think my pet would benefit from some anxiety medication for his visit? And most vets I know are more than happy to prescribe anxiety meds. They just might be so busy with, you know, all of your pet's other needs that it might not be at the forefront of their minds. So you can be your pet's advocate in situations like that. Oh my God, so much good information that you just unpacked there. I love this so much. (laughs) There are actually two episodes of the podcast that cover this specifically. So episode 18 is all about decreasing stress before vet visits. And episode 19 goes specifically into what Dr. McAuliffe talked about as far as the two medications she uses. So trazodone, gabapentin, these are what we call pre-visit medications that help to decrease fear, anxiety, and stress before the animal comes in to the vet. And there's so many reasons to incorporate these into our treatment plan, but allergies aren't going to go away. Every time I interact with an animal, I am teaching them something about what to expect from me. Mm -hmm. And if I can take the edge off of it, what they learn is that they can trust me and I'm not going to hurt them. But if they come in scared, they're going to leave scared and it's going to make it harder for me to get a good physical exam and a good physical physical exam is what allows me to provide the best medical care possible. So if your animal is less stressed, we can give better treatment. I want to have a good relationship with my clients. I want to have a good relationship with my pets and anti-anxiety medications are definitely something that can help facilitate that. I will tell owners that even my own dog, Russell Sprout, when he comes into the clinic, 
even if I am the one that is doing his physical exam and his treatments, he still needs trazodone to make him comfortable. And so I don't judge anybody whose animal comes into the clinic and is a little bit nervous or anxious to see me. That is a totally normal behavior for these animals and we can help them. Absolutely. And mine too. You know, my dogs get trazodone. My nurse's dogs get trazodone. Like everybody's dogs get some help with their anxiety when they come in to have anything done to them, even if it's a vaccine, they're still less stressed. It just makes everybody's lives so much easier, Mm -hmm. for sure. Many family veterinarians are comfortable treating allergies and anxiety, but the link to find a veterinary dermatologist or a veterinary behaviorist is on the website under the resources tab if you would like to consult with a specialist for your pet. And you can also view the references for today's show in the show notes on the website, which has a full transcript. And I'll put links to all the different websites and videos and resources that Dr. McAuliffe um, mentioned throughout the episode. We also have a Facebook group, Your Vet Wants You to Know. There are a lot of members talking about their experience with their allergic pet and what they've been going through. I think this is going to be a topic that is going to generate a lot of discussion as far as whether or not their itchy pets have behavior issues as well and how they've tried to manage those behavior issues. So a great community to help you feel less isolated when you're dealing with this challenging lifelong condition. Yeah. And pet owners, I forgot to mention this in our references, but they can go on to the Seabark website and they can take the entire, it's like a hundred questions, the survey to see how their dog compares to the database average. So you can actually take the survey yourself and see if your dog is more anxious or more aggressive or has more separation issues than the average dog. And that's free and easy to access. So we can include the link to that. Oh, I love that. So you guys have a little bit of homework that you can do if you want to find out more information about your specific pet. (laughs) So I like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. And this segment is designed to highlight something, whether it's a human interest story, a product, a website, just something that provides relief or makes you feel good. Hence, Scratching the Itch. Dr. McAuliffe, do you have a Scratching the Itch for our listeners today? Yes. One of my favorite things to talk about with clients. And I found myself just Friday, we'd finished up the actual allergy discussion and then spent another 10 or 15 minutes trading which food puzzles were our favorites for our pets. So (laughs) canine enrichment is one of my favorite things. And there's so much out there. There's a huge Facebook group that some of you might already be part of. He has a book that he's written that goes along with it. He's a guy that has like a PhD in behavior, in animal behavior. So it's basically helping our pets, our dogs, our cats also kind of fulfill their instinctual needs. So, you know, sitting on the couch drinking coffee is something that fulfills our needs, but not necessarily our dogs. So letting them sniff, letting them shred things, letting them do stuff like that can be hugely helpful in helping them feel less stressed and keeping their brains busy, keeping them feeling good and doing dog stuff is important. And for my dogs, I'm a huge fan of food puzzles. I have three dogs. I have an entire closet downstairs that is like floor to ceiling 
food puzzles. <laughs> um, no joke. There's like a shoe organizer full of them and like three shelves and Kong spilling out of baskets and all of that stuff. But that's awesome. Some of our favorites are the actual puzzles by Nina Otzen, and she has a great web page and many of her puzzles are sold through Amazon. So they're affordable. They're great fun. They're meant to be kind of interactive, like you sit with your dog and kind of watch them and help them if they need help figure the puzzle out. So it's not meant to be a Kong where you just throw it down and let them do their thing. But it's more interactive, which is fun because I love getting a new puzzle and putting it down and see how different each of my three dogs is at trying to figure that puzzle out. They get so excited too, which is always really cute and fun to watch. So I love all of this information that you shared. And I loved your study. I know resident research projects can sometimes be completely overwhelming. I'm sure this was in its own way. But I love that you picked something that you were passionate about. And that was clinically relevant. So really helpful for me as a practicing veterinarian, but also for pet owners to understand more about why their itchy pet might be more anxious than other dogs. And I am so grateful for you coming on and sharing your time and your expertise with everybody today. I really would love to keep this conversation going because I think there's a great movement that's happening within veterinary medicine with cooperative care and behavior and the overall quality of life of these animals. So to be part of that is really exciting for me. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. I am always excited to talk about this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And to everyone who joined us on the episode today, I look forward to your next visit with your vet wants you to know.